Okay, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So just to give you a roadmap for what we're planning to do for the rest of the service, I'm going to talk about this passage and about the theme of peace and different aspects of peace. Um, and then there's going to be a chance for us to pray for each other if we want to, but also to spend some time, you can choose to pray by yourself, or um, I've got some visual aids around the side of the room, and if you want to pray with others, you can gather around one of those visual aids and pray for different aspects of peace. So this passage talks about two women who become famous for all the wrong reasons. Um, and I thought it was really hard, isn't it, for, uh, you know, you knew Paul, you were in one of his churches that he visited, um, and you knew that he was writing letters backwards and forwards across and between the churches, and just your luck, you end up being in there because you did something wrong. Must, be really, must have been really galling for them to know that they got in the letters for the wrong time, the wrong, wrong reasons. So this is one aspect of peace that we're thinking about tonight. It reminds us that the peace of God is not just about the absence of conflict, but it's also a positive thing. It's also about the ending of conflict, because conflict will inevitably happen, won't it, in our lives and in the lives of people around us. So it's about how to end conflict well, how to nip it in the bud before it spreads the poison that we all know it, it sheds, doesn't it? We don't know what Yoda and Syntyche were fighting about, and I wonder whether that's deliberate, because in other places in the, Paul's letters, he's quite clear about perhaps a point of doctrine that people are arguing about, um, or perhaps a way in which they're living wrongly. But they don't, he never says what they're fighting about, so it's quite tantalising, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever wondered, I wonder what it was that they were fighting about. But maybe Paul is saying in this instance, it doesn't really matter what it was about. The point is that they were quarrelling and that it needed to stop. And so he asks the church to help them to come to an agreement, not just for their sakes, but for the sake of the whole body of Christ. We know that Christian quarrelling, quarrelling in churches or between Christians, can be particularly devastating, can't it? 
Um, you may have experienced it yourself, I don't know. I mean, every church has some, sadly. Um, some churches can have big ones and it can be very devastating, can't it? Um, especially, I think it tends to have an effect on the children and the grandchildren and the teenagers of a church because they set so much store by the role models, don't they, of those that they look up to. Um, when I was a bit younger, we had a friend called Mary, and in her church, they had a fantastic youth work and youth ministry. They had a great youth pastor, and uh, they were doing amazing work, and lots of young people were coming to Christ. Um, her parents were elders in this church. And I don't know why, but at one stage, the youth pastor decided that God was calling him to take all of the young people away from the church and set up their own youth church. Um, not sure about that, but that's what he did. And so almost every young person left en masse from the church overnight. Um, Mary felt devastated because she didn't feel she could leave because her parents were elders in the church and she felt that partly she didn't agree with them, but also she, you know, she saw how hurt her parents were going to be and she didn't want to leave them. And it really damaged her. Um, she went through a period of real depression and anorexia and other things. It was really hard for her. Um, so we know how long-lasting those effects can be. We don't know how many young people in this area of Downend, for example, and Staple Hill and, and Bromley Heath um, might have left churches because of quarrelling and conflict. So how are we meant to resolve those kinds of disputes? There's a bit of a guideline here. Paul is usually very practical, isn't he? So we hear, help these women... Come alongside them. Be an outsider who's a godly presence. Talk to them. Find out what's going on. Bring them to some kind of agreement. I don't know whether any of you have ever been involved in any kind of mediation and how powerful that can be, where you have a disinterested outsider who is able to listen to both sides and help each to work together. can be a very powerful thing, can't it? And I think it's something that we could use more in church quarrels, but also in family quarrels as well, which are also equally painful, aren't they? So I know that um, Chris, for example, has done some training in conflict resolution. You might not know coming into our house sometimes, <laughs> but uh, it's always harder to apply at home, isn't it? Um, but um, he's trained to do various things that help people to resolve conflict, and he's, he's tried it out in various places, and the techniques that he's learned, they really do work. And there are really interesting little techniques um, you might be interested in. For example, you know when you're sitting in a meeting and somebody says, so do we all agree that I've you know, come up with this great idea? Are you all happy to do this? And you have to say yes or no. Um, how often you sit there thinking, well, what I really want to say is I'm about 80% yes, but I'm a little bit worried about this, or I'm really not sure about this, but I feel I should say yes in order to kind of get things passed because I want to go home for my tea, or... I want to say yes because I feel like I don't want to be disloyal. There's all kinds of things going on in your head, but you're only given the one option. You, know, you either say yes or you say no. And there's a way of um, getting people to vote where you say, okay, put up five fingers if you're completely in and you're totally in agreement. Put up you know, four fingers if you're not a little bit sure you have a couple of reservations and so on. And that can be a really effective way of, in a Christian meeting, for example, or in, even in the family, um, in a work situation to sort of gauge people's opinions rather than having to just have everything black and white. So Chris can tell you loads of more things that he has found out on this course and um, that he does. So um, if you want to know any more, ask Chris. 
So God's peace is not just about there not being conflict, it's about the active ending of conflict in a godly way. So let's pray for each other that we can do that well. The second area of peace is a peace through being thankful and by putting God in the right place. Because as we, as you all know, uh, peace is about as much about what's going on inside us personally as in how we act outside. The former, that inner turmoil, would tend to produce turmoil around us, won't it? You know, somebody who's very um, struggling inside with anger or whatever, then they'll tend to be very quarrelsome outside, won't they? And that's not just um, sort of pop psychology. That, that, you know, I think that is borne out biblically as well. So the world tells us to get through that kind of inner turmoil, we should go to a spa um, or... Um, Maybe, uh, you know, study mindfulness, that's the in thing. I just need to get some water, sorry. I just want to wipe up my bottle. Hello, maybe, maybe, maybe. Thank you. Um, and those things are good, but we know that they don't produce the inner peace in a lasting sense that we need. Because God is going to be the source and the solution of all the peace that we seek. It's about putting God in the right place. If God is in his place and we are in the right place in relation to him, then peace will sooner or later follow. If we put ourselves in the right place, we are utterly humble in comparison with God, aren't we? But we're lifted up by grace. We're utterly unable to save ourselves from the sin that wars with our consciences but we are utterly free by the Spirit of God working in us and saving us. If someone's not at peace with themselves, then Jesus isn't fully Lord of their lives. And I think that's probably true of all of us, unless anyone could tell us that they're completely at peace with themselves. That might be amazing. But most of us are on some, somewhere on that journey, aren't we? And Paul tells us that the way to combat this lack of inner peace is through thankfulness and praise. And in other words, counting your blessings. Now, I was thinking that the phrase counting your blessings is something that has been really out of fashion, shall we say. It sounds very blitz, doesn't it? You know, counting your blessings, you know, come on, you know, you know we'll just get on with it. Um, it even sounds a bit Dickens, you know, count your blessings one by one. Make the best of it. You know, that's the way the cookie, cookie crumbles and all those things. But I think it's making a bit of a resurgence in Christian circles because it's such a profound truth that if we do count blessings every day, it makes a massive difference to us. I don't know if anyone's heard the book A Thousand Gifts by Anne Voskamp. Has anyone heard that book? No, okay. Um, somebody called Anne wrote a book about how she was suffering from depression and somebody challenged her to write down 10 blessings every day in her journal. She thought, I can't think of 10 things to be thankful for today because she was in a deep place, dark place at that time. And they said, you can do it. See how you get on. See how many days you can do it for. So she started to write 10 things in her journal every day. And to start with, it was really tough. So she had to just think of things like, number one, I'm still alive. Number two, 
I heard a robin singing today. Number three, somebody smiled at me in the post office. It was that kind of thing. But she found that the more she did it, the more things she could find to be thankful for. And she did it every single day. Some days there were lots of amazing things to be thankful for. Some days it was just those tiny blessings that she could hang on to. And she found that gradually she just became more and more used to being thankful. And she found that she felt more and more at peace with herself and at peace with God. So I've lent the book to somebody else. So if you want to find it, I can, I can recommend it to you and, uh, or we can get a copy or I can try and source it wherever it was. But it's, I really recommend it as a reader. It's very interesting. It's something that anybody could do. And this is all about avoiding worry because we are at peace with God and we're putting him in the right place as somebody who gives us everything we need. And this is such a famous passage, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something so important to live by. Who here is a worrier? Anybody prone to worry a little? <laughs> a little hands going up. You know, we can, we, can do a, we can do a five finger. Yes, I'm definitely a worrier. Or we can do a three finger. Ooh, not so bad. It's something that I've inherited. I'm not anywhere near as bad as I was. I don't think I'm as bad as my mum was, which is a, um, an achievement, um, definitely by the grace of God. But... <coughs> but it's something that a lot of us live with and have to battle with. Um, and I was asking myself the question, we're commanded not to be anxious. It's not just a suggestion, we're commanded not to be anxious. Jesus says this. The Lord says it in, in the Old Testament, do not be afraid, and, and fear and worry are pretty closely linked, aren't they? Do we need, do we, is it possible not to worry? Can we decide not to do it? And I was thinking, we hopefully decide not to commit other sins, don't we? Do we see worry as a sin? Or do we see it just as part of who we are and it's just, that's just how we are? Um, we're powerless to battle against any sin, aren't we? Except that we have the Holy Spirit with us. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is in us. Of course we're going to make mistakes. But I believe that we can choose not to be a worrier anymore and we can ask others to pray for us because we, we're bound to lapse again and again but I believe that we can ask God to pray for us to deliver us from a spirit of being a worrier and the way to do it I reckon is to just change a couple of letters round. not sure about the spelling but I think if you've become a warrior rather than a warrior <laughs> then I reckon that that would be a good word to remind yourself when you know you're worrying to think, no, I'm a warrior in God's army, I'm, I'm part of his family, he's put his spirit within me, he has made me strong, he will make me strong, and he will see me through. It's hard, but I, I felt God was yeah, challenging me again when I looked at this, to follow that command not to worry and to lay down the things that bind us. Because did most of the things we worried about ever happen? 
Most of them don't happen, do they? Um, and there's so much about life we can't control. So let's seek that inner peace with God and ask him to bless us. And let's find a way through by thankfulness, repenting of sin, claiming his promises and believing that they really are true and listening to him. All of those obvious but vital building blocks of daily life in Christ. So we're going to remember that peace is active, not just passive. Peace is about ending conflict as well as not just not, there not being any conflict. And it's about being a warrior, not a warrior. It's also an active thing, an action that we can do in our daily lives through living out the peace of Christ by dwelling on good things and putting them into practice. So peace, as we know, is not just a passive thing, it's an active thing. And we know that the Bible talks about shalom, this peace that's wholeness and healing, not just an absence of conflict. It's when a whole person is all working perfectly and, and everything is in line, everything is well aligned like a smoothly running machine because God is in his right place and we're in our right place. So to be an active peacemaker, we could be the amazing man whose name I've forgotten who set up that orchestra of Palestinian and Israeli musicians. Or we could be the person who, fights, uh, who breaks up a fight on the school bus. Or we could be the person who prays for someone else who is in inner turmoil. Those are many ways in which we can further the peace of Christ. And if you think about conflict situations that you encounter, maybe in your family or in workplaces or in um, clubs and societies you belong to or things locally that you hear about, it'd be good to think, God, are you calling me to be any active peacemaker in this situation? Is there anything I can do? When you hear your neighbour telling you about how they, they've fallen out with their daughter or their son or whatever, is there a, play, a place we could, a, a part we could play? If we keep doing good things and surrounding ourselves with good things, reading good things, listening to good things, then it's like we're building up walls of a fortress around our hearts, a fortress of goodness. That's the, the word there that, um, uh, oh, it's in the verse before, isn't it? Um, yes, the peace of God will guard your hearts in, and minds in, in Christ Jesus. That word guarding is about fortresses. So we don't want to hide away as Christians, but we do want to put these big, strong building blocks in place of God's love and of all the good things that he brings us in life. And if we put those around our hearts, he's saying that we will experience the peace of Christ and we will be able to cope when troubles come. But sometimes it's really hard to do these things. It's all very well to stand up here and say it, but it is really hard not to worry and it's hard not to uh, be really um, knocked over, bowled over by conflict in our families or in workplaces or wherever, and not to let it really damage us. So one of the things that seems to be very helpful for people is to um, do something called prayer ministry, where you are able to pray with one or two other people on a, on a sort of longer, deeper level than a quick prayer here and there. Um, um, 